other's gang. Two sisters, both curious and strange. I'm like a duo and they witty from the brain. It's the magic hour, Mercedes and Jay. How's it going, boys and babes? It's that time again. Time for another episode of The Magic Hour. I'm Mercedes Terrell, and with me, my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. What's up, Jade? Hey, you guys. We're only three days out from our live event in Austin, Texas. (laughs) I know. We cannot hardly wait to meet all of you and for y'all to meet our three amazing guests for that event. The whole event is movement-themed, as we've been telling you all along. Mm -hmm. It's going to include ecstatic dance. We're going to have an articulated stretching workshop, focused breath work, so, so much more. And of course, you guys already know, we're calling it Move With Magic. Yeah. And like I've mentioned before, if dancing publicly and soberly is out of your comfort zone, this is the event to do it at. Mm -hmm. Melody is so empowering and self-esteem boosting. She will make you feel like you're ready to be Beyonce's backup dancer by the time you leave. I love that. (laughs) And Prangi and Ashley are such an incredible duo. Their leadership in dance will make you feel like it's just you and the cosmos in the room. You'll also get rid of your ego a little bit more and feel more alive by the time you leave. And Aaron's going to lead us in some alignment and stretching in between the two dance parts to loosen us all up. We also just had Aubrey Marcus jump on board. So you'll see a little special guest appearance from him. That'll yeah. be really cool. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Like. But most importantly, we're going to be donating the proceeds from the event to Safe Austin. Yeah. Tell me about what Safe Austin all does. Tell us, tell us, Jade. So, you know, research in our own experiences have shown that the multiple forms of violence and victimization are interconnected and that one of the best predictors of future victimization is past victimization. In fact, two of the most consistent factors that are associated with future violent outcomes are child abuse and exposure to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So viewing a survivor as a whole person within the context of their life strengthens Mm -hmm. collaborations and builds stronger communities. Makes sense. Yeah. And SAFE was created to improve the effectiveness of violent prevention and intervention services. That's why we chose them. Mm -hmm. They're doing great work. And our primary goal with this event is to support their cause with as much as we can donate. So with that said, the magic hour is going to match you dollar for dollar up to a thousand dollars. Yeah. So between the people that the charity helps with the money we raise and the people who attend the event, they get to absorb all the physical and mental wisdom our amazing show guests have to offer through their the live interviews we do with them and the movement that they'll lead us in. I know lives are going to be changed that day. I know Jade and I Mm -hmm. will be changed that day for sure. I'm so stoked to be having the event at On It's Gym and during South by Southwest of all times. Mm -hmm. So if any of you want to join us, please head over to www.movewithmagic, spelled M-A-J-I-C, dot splashthat.com to grab your tickets Super special event and semi-intimate event. So tickets are limited, guys. We want to see you there. So make sure you head to that link to grab yours. And, of course, you can also donate on that link as well if you can't attend for any reason. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is just click the RSVP button and it'll send you to the donation link. Yeah. We're all super excited to move with magic with you. Yes. So today we're going to be discussing how to be more mindful in our relationships. We have a specialist in conscious relationships and sex therapy joining us today, Peter Craig. We Mm -hmm. both have a lot of questions for him. 
Sure do. I'm really looking forward to this one, actually. And so, without further ado, let me introduce a man that specializes in connection, authenticity, depression, anxiety, stress, and relationships. He's a sex therapist. He helps people explore, gain insight, and take action towards greater health by overcoming behavior patterns and fostering greater self-compassion. He is the author of three books of poetry, Caravan of Lovers, Why We Keep Breathing, and Mirror of Fire, which aim to uplift and inquire into life's most meaningful questions. By the way, it's worth mentioning that he's also a triathlete. Mm -hmm. No big deal. So yeah, boys and babes, please welcome Peter Craig to the show. Yay. Hi, Peter. Hi, Jay Mercedes. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, that's all you. We just, just, uh, you know, seek out all the things that are beautiful about you online and put it into this bio. So it's just your truth, man. Well, I'm really humbled to be here. I love love your podcast and uh, the spirit you guys share is really amazing. So I'm excited. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, so Peter, you're a couples therapist and specialize in neuroscience training. We're really interested in this new science of relationships. Can you explain uh, what that is for us and our listeners? Yeah. So in the past 50 years, we've gotten a lot of information on our biology, our psychology, and how the brain works. And so we combining all of this, we have kind of a new roadmap on how to have more fulfilling relationships. So a mentor of mine, Dr. Stan Tatkin out of Los Angeles, he mm-hmm. uh, oh, has really codified him. a lot of this. Oh, you know Stan Tatkin. Okay, great. Yeah, so, I read um, the um, Your Brain on Love is one of my favorite mm-hmm. relationship books. Yeah. We so talk about the wave, yeah. the anchor, and the island all the time yeah. on here. Okay, well, that was going to be one of the first things we got into. So y'all already know. All this. No, please though, enlighten. <laughs> yeah, us. go into it. We're both waves, so yeah. okay. <laughs> trying to be anchored. I'm more, I'm more islandy, so we can balance each other out. Maybe there you go. Our listeners are currently like, "What okay, are you talking about?" Yeah. Okay, sure. Okay, so really, to start at the beginning, the attachment style that we form as a child really influences our adult relationships. So mm-hmm. by attachment style, I mean the way our primary caregivers attended to us mm-hmm. at our earliest years. This forms a map of our relational self that we unconsciously as use as a filter for all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. And so it's really powerful to understand what our relational map is in a way that can help us have more understanding of how to work with our own needs and how to work with our partner's needs. So if mm-hmm. I can explain a little bit about the attachment styles. So we'd love it. Yeah. So John Bowlby did this study in the fifties of having mothers and their babies and then having their, their young child, uh, the mother would leave the room and then the baby would still play or cry for a while and then play. And then the mother would come back. And what they found is there's four different types of attachment style. The first one's secure, meaning that the child basically cried a little bit when the mom left, but when the mom came back, baby's happy. Everything's fine. I'm I'm secure knowing that my mom, my primary caregiver will be there for me consistently. And so I can explore the world and feel safe, have a safe place with them. Then there's two kinds of insecure attachment, one avoidant and the other anxious ambivalent or the, mm. the island and the wave. So the, the avoidant, the island, basically the primary caregiver maybe isn't around as much. The child has to 
figure it out on their own over time and eventually start saying, I don't really need help. I can do it myself. I got this. And that's the avoidant island type. The wave or anxious avoidant, uh, anxious ambivalent type says, I'm worried mom's not going to come back. And primary caregivers, when they're inconsistent in how they're available, maybe they have alcoholic issues or just other issues going on. They can't be consistently there for the child. There's this kind of push-pull of clinging, of be there for me, be there for me, and then fear of abandonment. Mm. And this creates really kind of an intensity of push and pull that can reproduce in your adult intimate relationships. Yeah, that's so interesting about how also I tend to notice that a lot of waves end up with islands. Mm -hmm. And that's just such a tough relationship. (laughs) Um, That's mine right now. I almost want for the rest of my life to before, like even a first date to be like, sure. What's your relationship? What's your, uh, what, what is this your actually attachment called? Style? Yeah. What is your attachment style? Yeah. <laughs> I don't do, I, you know how most people say like, what's your sign? Yeah. Instead, what's your attachment style? I don't do well with uh, waves. I mean, sorry. I don't do well with uh, islands. Wait, I don't know islands, if I've ever yeah. dated another wave. I feel like I do worse mm. with a wave though. You know? Yeah. Because think about it. Like you're both. I don't know. You're both just up and down and it's like a Yeah. where you know you'd really have to do a lot of work to figure out when you're on the same page and ends up being a tsunami emotionally sober setting. Um mm. so I guess this is answering that question you just answered this question but I was going to ask you what are some ways we can create connection in our relationships so by figuring out what attachment style is a good starting point but do you have any other pointers with that? Yeah. So Avoidant types, or they call them dismissive as adult attachment styles, um, are self-regulators, meaning they don't really rely on others for feeling good. Um, And part of that is actually forgetting how important relationships and connection are because the brain actually prunes those neurons when you don't get that connection and you start doing it yourself. So just as people who identify more with avoidant types, kind of just recognizing, hey, maybe I do have a deeper need for connection and starting there to reach out more. Um, The wave tends to be external regulators, meaning it's really important to have someone outside themselves that can help you feel grounded and safe and connected. And so acknowledging that you can own your desire for that with your partner and be able to express, hey, it's really important that you can say, hey, I'm really close to you. I'm connected to you. You can. I'm going to go do my thing, but I'm here for you. And really helping create more conscious relation uh, language around asking for what our needs are based on how we kind of regulate ourselves. Um, so I wanted to share another element of the new science of relationships, which is basically more about our how our brain works. So there's Stan Tacken breaks it down: the primitives and the ambassadors. Are you guys familiar with that? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Okay, so basically our older brain, the the limbic system, our emotional brain is, we're wired for survival. You know, we made it here Mm -hmm. to survive through being able to survive. Our brain's scanning danger three times a second is is this danger. And so we have a very delicate threat detection system. And so basically... Relationships are really hard when we're acting from our more primitive brain, which basically takes less energy, is is cheaper in terms of fuel, like we need less glucose and oxygen Mm. to fuel our lower brain versus our higher centers of reasoning, which developed 
over time. The you can call the prefrontal cortex, the ambassador. So the ambassador brain basically takes more energy, is more complex, takes longer to think through, but will help you make better decisions. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is to have our ambassadors online as much as possible and to not let our primitives kind of sabotage our relationships. Because if we just acted from our instinct every second, we would say and do things that kind of sabotage our relationships. Mm. Why do we have that yeah. that uh, self-destructive nature, though? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> our childhoods, I, I, I guess. Survival. <laughs> you know, mm. the human species is surviving. I was watching a podcast by Joe Rogan. He was interviewing an evolutionary psychologist talking about how you know we evolved from chimpanzees, which were kind of kings of the trees. But then over millions of years, when the climate changed, they were kind of forced onto the plains. And then they had to learn how to stand and walk upright and throw things to kill their prey as mm. groups and collaborate to survive. So we're wired for war. And this, I think that though, in a spiritual sense, we have this higher brain because we're also wired for something more than that. And that's the goal is to keep your higher centers of brain online as much as possible. And that's part of mindfulness is building more capacity to have a higher center of reasoning. So with your partner, you want to basically communicate to the in the in the language of the lower of the lower brain in terms of it doesn't communicate in words. It communicates in eye contact, in facial expression, in body language, in closeness. So coming back to your original question, how do people feel more connected is really understanding that on a primitive level, it's not just the words you say, but it's how you connect. And so I would really invite everyone to create rituals of connection physically with their partner. So I love sharing Stan Tacken's welcome home exercise. You familiar with that, yeah. Jade? Mm -hmm. So basically he says in the morning and evening, when you greet your partner, maybe before you guys leave and come back together to hug belly to belly mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. five Six or seconds. 10 seconds oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and really allow your whole system to relax. And we have more neurons in our gut than our brain and it communicates safety. And so it helps tell our threat detection system, I'm safe, I'm mm -hmm. good and can help mm -hmm. us relax. And so just creating rituals like that where we sync up and relax our threat detection, mm -hmm. we can foster more connection. So, it's so funny. I almost did that as my magic trick. We do have, as you know, we do a magic yeah. trick at the end of every show. And I was going to do that. You hug daily someone mm -hmm. for six seconds. Yeah. Um, but what about if you are dating someone who may be an island and just isn't into mm -hmm. practices like that, or it's a little cheesy, like a lot like Mercedes and I have um, done magic tricks before where you do like an, a gratitude practice with your partner. Not all men really want to do that, um, not because maybe they don't love the woman, but because it feels forced or it sounds obligatory or it's just like it's not for them. So what would you recommend? Sure. In that situation. Yeah, I, I think you can't force it, obviously. Right. But mm -hmm. you can you can practice ways of feeling more connected. And so I think getting small wins that if we can be more attuned to each other in a more physical way, which doesn't mean just hugging that it can feel good for both partners. Mm -hmm. And so specifically like in terms of arguing and conflict, because we all fight a lot mm -hmm. and being able to fight well and repair quickly is really the sign of an ideal relationship. And so when you're starting to get into conflict territory with your partner, can you move closer to them? Can you face your body towards them? Can you look them in the eyes? Can you have an expression of kindness or 
lovingness on your face? Can you speak to it in a tone that can help tell their animal limbic brain that they're okay? And then touch. Mm. Obviously, if you're in like in a really heated conversation, don't touch me, you know. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> it's like a porcupine. But knowing that you, know, you can kind of preempt those kind of situations as much as possible by knowing the mm-hmm. language of the, the, the emotional brain. So yeah. specifically with men or avoidant styles, I think it's just having an honest conversation like, hey, I need that connection more than you do. So I want you to be able to say, hey, let me give you a quick hug, this but then I'm going to go my do needs. my thing for a while. What, what's one of your needs? Well, just us saying like, this is one of my needs, you know, like meeting halfway, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think if an avoidant person, for example, realizes that they can communicate that they need their own space, but also mm-hmm. be able to get, give the wave a little bit of connection to at the same time, yeah. it's just about having more honest conversation that mm-hmm. is about connection more Everyone says, you know, communication is the most important thing, but in the language of the nervous mm-hmm. system, connection is the most important thing, feeling safe. Yeah. Mm. So that, I haven't gotten to that point, but that's a really important yeah. element of feeling safe. Especially for waves. And yeah. I think you you did touch on that, or at least to me, it made it okay. pretty apparent when you were talking about the, the hugging technique. Mm-hmm. Um that safety is what you're after and retraining that lizard brain, you know, that subconscious part mm-hmm. of your brain that uh, is where the fight or flight mode comes from and all your anxiety is born out of. Uh, retraining your habit to go into this unsafe um, observatory, you know, trying to figure out what's coming at you from every angle in every moment and making it feel safe when you're with the person who you yeah. you want to share a relationship with, you know, who you want to deepen your relationship with. And then little by little, you just being in proximation, you know, just being in close proximation mm-hmm. with that person, you already have this calm feeling come over you. I yeah. think we can relate to that um, with our a lot of our mothers, you know, depending on your relationship yeah. with your mother. But if you have well, a really, our friends— yeah, well, some right. of our friends, right? Yeah, like the mm-hmm. ones that you just feel like they always have your but back. But it's so rare with safe. lovers. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know if I've ever been in a relationship where that type of method in conflict has been um, welcomed at all. Um, mm. So it's like to me, the word that comes up while you're describing it is, whew, that sounds safe. That sounds mm. warm. Just someone you know? who would be willing to even... Do let the practices you. with you, yeah. yeah. Mm. Is it that would let you just set your hand on them while they're angry? Yeah, mm. I've not mm. not experienced that. It sounds sounds awesome. What um, I also want to ask, what as waves, what would you say we could do to move towards becoming an anchor? Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think doing personal work, like all of the different things that mm-hmm. you guys do, I'm sure, and talk about, and first, just accepting that you have a really strong need for external regulation or someone outside of you helping you feel Mm -hmm. safe and grounded and connected and then being able to communicate that need as ideally as possible and helping your partner understand why that's important to you and how that could be helpful to help them get their goals you know like hey if you can be close to me right now for a little while that can feel good and then you can go off and Mm -hmm. do your thing and so it's really kind of a a teamwork a team effort on being able to have that conversation yeah I think you you hit it also when you said um, 
finding it in ourselves. That's like something, I mean, uh, we had Maddie Moon on and she said, you know, we're made for connection. She's not someone who preaches like you're whole, you don't need anyone else. And I, that really like made me feel good because I always felt like I had to feel that way. And I never have. I've always felt like I did need someone else because we're, we're made for connection. But my last plant uh, medicine ceremony, uh, which was just uh, less than a week ago, I think, um, the whole message it's my 12th one. And my, my whole theme was stepping into my inner shaman. And it's interesting because there's a few male males in my life that show up in every ceremony. And I asked, I was like, where are they? Mm -hmm. And she said, um, they're not here. This isn't about them tonight. It's about you to step into your inner shaman. Um, you need to cultivate your own masculine energy and stop seeking it outside Mm. of you. And it sounds so silly, but we went to Home Depot and did all these like manly things. (laughs) Like it sounds so not um, psychedelic, but being at Home Depot, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, it was um, exactly what kind of what you were saying is what I feel like I experienced that night. Just to clarify, you went to Home Depot while you're on your medicine? In my mind. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like Sorry. Yeah. I should clarify that too. <laughs> I know you're Why are you closed? Fairly yeah. in the same place, but <laughs> yeah. But of course, like everything looked way more beautiful than, yeah. in, you know, actual. But so yeah, I, that, it was really cool. I liked how um, you spelled out what we could do as waves to to find places where we're externalizing, like where we're at, we're asking external things, including people and maybe addictions or whatever it is in our life that mm-hmm. we think we need in order to be whole um, or think we need in order to feel better in the moment. Um, because if we can't identify those places, I think we just get stuck in that cycle, you know, and and and, and being a wave, I see myself get stuck in the pity party cycle. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the I float up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in, I, we talk about hormones a lot on this show. So <laughs> according to where my hormones are at that month, you know, but yeah, the part that to me, I hope that people take away from our show or just from anywhere you can learn new stuff in general is that knowing is half the battle. Like if you can just take the time and effort to go, okay, something is an issue here in my own body and then go, okay, let me research it. Go start sourcing out different places that you can learn about whatever the thing is. And if it's in your relationship, if there's something that that um, you need to suss out in there, go do the research and then figure out how you're how you can apply it to yourself. Because I think that's the first step in not externalizing everything is actually taking responsibility yeah. by doing the research and then applying it to your own life. You know, it's going to take practice yeah. and practice and practice in order to actually make your habits change. But the hard thing though, with that is I have become so obsessed with that and with trying to grow. I think that there are times when I'll stay in a situation that's not good for me because I'll say, well, I need to change this. Mm. Well, I need to change this. And well, I haven't tried this. And well, what is this here to teach me? And then I'm just putting myself through hell trying to like find the, mm. trying seeking to the pain. L- learn your way out of really, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When really I, it's just not a situation that's good for me, you know? So it's yeah. hard. You have to like really find the line there. I think too, when it comes to another human being involved, you have to take into consideration where their willingness comes into play. Like, are they willing to do the work too? What Mm -hmm. do you think about that, Peter? Yeah. 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 So I wanted to circle back to Stan again is his 
thesis is secure functioning is the is the goal. So as a couples therapist, the goal is to create as much secure functioning with the couple in real time, in the room, in the middle of conflict, in the middle of everything. And secure functioning is basically, I have your back, you have mine. And it's a, kind of a social contract like marriage. We're saying, hey, we're going to commit to just having each other's back. And it's going to be really hard sometimes and be easy other times. But basically that creates a sense of safety and security that allows your nervous system, your animal brain to say, okay, I can relax and and go for it. And so with that being said, it's challenging because relationships are hard yeah. and it does take willingness to teach both people to work it out. And so mm-hmm. John Gottman, I'm sure, are y'all familiar with his work? No. He's probably done the most research out of any psychologist on relationships. And he's famous for kind of being able to predict couples that break up. And mm. so what he found <laughs> was, yeah, what he found was, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, it's, relationships are hard. People are annoying. That's stands yeah. thing. And I well, I just wonder what his first dates are like yeah. for himself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo. Hey, yo. <laughs> um, so he basically came, he could watch videos of couples and predict their staying together or not mm. just by what he found were called bids of affection. So there's three kinds of ways you can respond to a bid. And a bid is basically like, oh, look, it's sunny outside or, hey, this is really important to me. Anything basically you say with your partner that they can respond to. So they can either turn towards the bid like, oh, it's sunny. That's great. Or turn against the bid like, who cares? Um, or turn away from the bid, basically not respond or kind of mumble or something like that. And so couples that have lasting long-term relationships tend to turn towards each other's bids at a five to one ratio, like 80% of the time. And so just thinking about that on a micro level is how can you be responsive to your partner as much as possible and have an open conversation about, Hey, it really hurts my feelings when you don't Mm -hmm. respond. Here's how, you know, we can work on that. Hmm. sober and emotionally sober settings, I think are the hardest places to make time for, or I've found are the hardest things to make time for. Like, okay, we need to actually set aside that date night or whatever it is. And then when it comes around, hope that it's still emotionally sober in order to get into the places that are hard to talk about, especially if you're not in an emotionally sober yeah. setting. Like when you when you want to usually talk about those things, it's coming mm-hmm. from a place of anger that's being stirred in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, so challenge. important that your partner is willing to um, put in the work when it comes to self-growth too, you know? For sure. And that's a slippery slope yeah. too because you can— they you have know, a different. They may have a just a different idea of how to grow. Yeah, and it may not be things like this. Yeah, yeah, a different angle. And then by you go by you feeling like you're observing that your partner is not willing to put in the work the same way you are, mm-hmm. you suddenly are becoming the victim and calling your you know and telling mm-hmm. them it's their fault that this isn't working out or whatever. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask about. Uh, I actually watched a TED talk recently, and I wish I remembered the woman's name, but she was basically giving a pitch on how we settle into marriages as, you know, a forever contract. And instead to think about them, uh, it might be a more healthy way to think about them as like a seven-year contract or something more reasonable to how our ebb and flows of life and hormone changes Mm -hmm. and everything goes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's... I'll give you seven years. Yeah. No, like, like, you know, seven years, let's like really make a commitment and... And see 
what it looks like in seven years. And then let's reassess, okay, where are we at? Do we want to move forward together? And so that it's not like this forever thing because we know that a lot falls apart in a marriage, I I think, because people are taking each other for granted. And it's a way to kind Mm -hmm. of help that not to happen. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And on marriage altogether. Yeah. 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 Gosh, (laughs) seven years sounds hard to be like, (laughs) better get your shit together. You know, um, you know, because to me, that kind of goes against Stan's, you know, secure functioning where Mm -hmm. you don't want to threaten the relationship. That's one of the most toxic things you can do. I mean, in my past experience, when that started happening, it was like, oh, this is a bad sign. Things are maybe ending because you lose the safety of, hey, I got your back, you got mine. So having a seven-year mm. thing on one hand, that seems yeah. not really promoting safety and secure functioning. Because also, who knows what's going to happen in that sixth year? A failed business, a loss right. of a child, things that could really, you know, mess with what the previous five years have been. Yeah, and I, and I think on the other hand, y'all are familiar with Esther Perel? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think she's really speaking eloquently about the changing landscape of marriage and relationships where it used to be more of an economic, political, social partnership Mm -hmm. where, Mm -hmm. and now it's be my best friend, be my lover, be my business partner, be my friend. And it's overwhelming. And so it's really difficult to manage that transition. I think as a society, we're having kind of a crisis maybe of that because infidelity is, you know, at a high percentage, but in divorce rates at a high percentage. And Mm -hmm. so how do we really be honest about our desire and challenge each other to grow, you know, having a growth mm-hmm. relationship? Because I understand if you marry someone and then they kind of stop growing in some ways and you continue to grow, mm-hmm. do you stop growing? That doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Also, I'm curious when you bring up safety with the seven years, what are your thoughts on open relationships? Because here in Austin, a lot, uh, especially most of our mutual friends, that's what they practice in to me, that can sound so threatening mm-hmm. and go against that safe haven in a way. But yeah, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's challenging in terms of secure functioning. I think it takes probably a lot more work to create secure functioning with your partner. Mm-hmm. You know, the the experience I've had and with people that I know who are in open relationships, it takes a lot of communication and practicing connection and communicating boundaries in in ways that are really emotionally intense. And so I don't Mm -hmm. think it's for everybody. Um, It's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe in tribal societies, you know, like the sex at dawn kind of people who are in that Mm -hmm. camp, um, there's a sense of it makes sense that we're kind of sharing, growing families Mm -hmm. together, sharing our intimacy together. But we live in a very individualistic society. And so it's hard to have that tribal bond to make Mm -hmm. that work. Um, I don't think the research shows that it's negative necessarily. People can have healthy, secure functioning relationships. And I think society is moving towards more openness around sexuality in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that in in a general sense is a good thing. But I think actually as overall in the past 50 years, we've moved more towards more insecure uh, attachment mm-hmm. in terms of attachment style. And so I think mm-hmm. that is a challenge uh, yeah. because we want to feel secure. That's the main thing mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm. Yeah. I've seen a lot of couples get really close through it and it's been really mind boggling Yeah, but, uh, to me because I'm like, wow, 
Yeah. But I, and the way you put it into context of it being a tribal, more of like a tribal society that they're living within. So it's like, okay, well, if this doesn't work out, I have this super tight tribe around me that I feel is holding me in one way or another. So I, there is safety in that. I, I get what you're saying there. So mm-hmm. makes it make a little more sense if you can find that whole tribe, <laughs> get them to stick together. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'm also interested, and we may have touched on this a little bit already, but I'm interested in how we can deepen our relationship with ourselves um, and maybe through creativity or spirituality. So how do you help your clients deepen this area of their lives? Yeah, this is my favorite thing about my job. You know, it's really beautiful to get to be with someone and explore their whole self, explore the hurts of the past, the goals of the future, and what's happening right now in their body, in their mind, in their heart. And so I think a lot of it is a lot of the work that y'all are doing and talking about and that I'm really passionate about is really looking at our pain of the past and the hurt in our relationships mm-hmm. and the and the kind of loss of innocence growing up and really tending to our wounds with compassion and kindness. You know, mindfulness is moment to moment, non-judgmental awareness with Mm. curiosity and kindness is how I like to say it. And so just, it takes courage. It takes work. It takes um, emotional energy to turn towards our suffering when we live in a world that's very externally focused, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. looking outside pleasure and distraction. And um, there's lots of great things going on, but we're maybe not attending to our inner child in our own hurt. And so that's kind of the first phase of counseling in a way I would say is really when people come into counseling, typically there's a a certain event that kind of launches them into like things get to a breakdown level or something doesn't feel right that people feel really compelled to take action. And so it takes courage. And so really supporting people and just being, Hey, it's courageous to, to work on yourself and to, to look at your past. And, and just by doing that with a caring other person, like Mm -hmm. in the therapeutic relationship or opening up to a close friend about something painful that happened, the pain of that can transform into not feeling as alone with Mm -hmm. some of your pain. Because I think that's the the thing with the spiritual crisis of our time is we all feel so alone, even though we're bumping into each other on the streets. And so how can we share our suffering in a way that helps us feel connected Mm -hmm. and allows us in a way to heal some of that pain because neuroscience research has shown we can actually undo emotional learning from trauma or painful experiences in our past by having a corrective or um, experience that basically is a, is a different experience. So, you know, the pain of the past may be like, I'm, I'm alone and I'm not worthy, but then yeah. I'm sitting there with them saying, Hey, I see your worthiness yeah. and I feel you being, and they see me feeling me mm-hmm. that. And then all of a sudden it changes the script. And so that's really deep work that is really inspiring to carry on. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. being able to make others feel seen allows anybody to be such a light in this world like literally you can serve your purpose on this planet I think just by helping one other human feel really seen you know like it's that easy which is cool because that's easy to do it that's that's why y'all are doing such a great thing with this (laughs) podcast that's our goal here yeah Yeah. but Mercedes I don't know if you remember me making that short film 365 less strangers yeah Mm -hmm. that's what it was all about like uh having a less stranger every day going out and making that person um, feel seen by finding your common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll post the link in our 
our notes uh, section for this yeah. episode. But um, but yeah, I, I had that goal for a year and I would just, whether it was a 95-year-old lady or a 20-year-old homeless person, there was always something that I related to them on, always. Yeah. And I, yeah. I had been single for a while. I was living by myself in Hollywood and it was so silly to feel lonely because everyone around me, everyone in my apartment building, we'd all cried ourselves to sleep before. We'd all had our heart broken before. And so we have that connection like all around us if we just, you know, allow ourselves to allow feel Allow it, yeah, mm-hmm. or allow for it. Um, I was going to also mention that because you brought up loneliness and that that's kind of the core issue that many of us are dealing with, maybe all of us, you know, as humans. Even in our yeah. relationships. Yeah. And yeah, in absolutely. our in our relationships. And maybe you as an island can, you know, I'll ask you to speak. You're an island? Up. Yeah. I, I like to think I'm secure, but I, I'm realizing like, oh, there's some island in there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what he said in the beginning. I wasn't calling you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. It's all good. I would have well, guessed you were an anchor. An anchor. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an anchor. Come on. Uh, Some people an, say they're anchors, and I'm like, I feel like if you're an anchor, you, you can't like you can't even brag about it that way. You just have yeah, to be like, yeah. I don't know. I might tend to yeah. be. Uh, um, anyway. yeah, it's like saying so, you're enlightened. You're like, uh, you should. <laughs> yeah. Tom would call himself a wave, but we'd probably call him an anchor. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Tom is amazing. That was an amazing podcast. Uh, wow. Thank you. So I wanted to speak to that, and one kind of psychological concept I think is helpful is. There's an internal locus of control versus mm-hmm. external locus of control. So people who tend to have more of an externally defined sense of self, like I'm my car, I'm my relationship, I'm my house, I'm my status, um, they they tend to be less happy versus an internal locus of control. Like mm-hmm. I have a certain set of values. I love myself as I am. I kind of navigate through the world based on my intuition and my own instinct. And so I think for avoidant or or dismissive types, or just for anyone of really um, coming home to yourself and looking within is kind of the the step one of the spiritual Mm -hmm. path of examining yourself and turning in and quieting from all the external Mm -hmm. noises and developing your own compass. And that's challenging, but it's the kind of the the hero's journey of a lifetime is to really develop Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Totally agree. I'm curious, um, as a um, relationship counselor, how the women you date, how that makes them feel. Like, is it intimidating <laughs> or is it comforting? Um, because it could be comforting like, oh, well, he's going to really work with me here on conflict. Or it could be intimidating because it's like he knows so much more than me on how, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or, or annoying. Uh, um, yeah, I think it varies, you know. Um I think overall people want to have healthy relationships and feel connected and be able to talk about their feelings and have a balance of masculine and feminine. I think that's what I aspire to is being really in touch with my feminine essence, which is my emotions. Can I notice what I'm feeling and express it and not feel ashamed about it? And can I be powerful? Like this is what I want and this is where I'm going and this is my purpose and having a balance of that. So I think people are attracted people who are different stages. My last relationship was really challenging. And I think I was learning some lessons about myself of kind of confronting my more avoidant nature of avoiding conflict and getting mm-hmm. into a relationship I didn't want to be in, but I didn't have the confidence to communicate that. So mm-hmm. I think we're all learning different things from different relationships. So it's, I, I think, you know, counselors, we're all trying to heal ourselves, you know? So I think, mm. you know, there's can be benefits of really having a lot more conversation about emotion and connection where a lot of guys don't really have a language for that or don't want to have a language for that. Mm -hmm. So 
I think uh, we talk about this also a lot on the show, it seems, of late. And I think um, maybe it has something to do with the rise of femininity, as I like to call it, better than the feminist Mm -hmm. movement because it has such Mm -hmm. a negative context right now. Um, When you talk about finding a balance, you know, in your own yin-yang and your own masculine and female energies and being able to, uh, as Maddie Moon would put it, be energetically agile so like move between Mm. the omega and the alpha uh do you teach your clients anything as far as practices to do that in order to help them in that Mm. area Mm -hmm. yeah so i've taught a couple workshops on conscious relationships that's how Uh, i found you yeah (laughs) and those were really fun and really inspiring we had kind of an open conversation about masculinity and femininity. So it was really interesting to hear what everyone had to say. And there mm. was a balance of couples and most, a lot of women, but there was a lot of guys. I was really uh, mm. happy with oh, that. Um, but what we, what um, Jen Turner is a yoga teacher at Black Swan, I partnered with. And what we did is listed traditional qualities associated with kind of divine masculine or healthy masculine and feminine. And then potentially kind of destructive qualities of both of those elements mm-hmm, and ask people mm-hmm. to circle the ones that they identified with and then star the ones that they aspired to embody. And I think this helped people realize like, oh, I'm really in touch with my masculine or my feminine or not, you know, or have a, kind of just opening up a conversation about, mm-hmm. you know, what is your relationship with the feminine? What is your relationship with the masculine? Yeah. And that all of a sudden just all of this energy starts flowing through because that's, you know, from the unity comes the duality. And so Mm. we are a constant tension of opposites and being able to harmonize and integrate these opposites is kind of our goal of being an integrated, you know, spiritual, loving person. Yeah. (laughs) That's so beautifully said. I really like that. We're going to use that as a clip for... Take it. um, Go ahead. I was just going to say, just on that, that I know it's a lot easier said than done to, to... jump into this balance, you know, of, of masculine yeah. feminine energy. But if any guys are listening, which I know they are, <laughs> um, if you can, you know, genuinely go into the work of finding that type of balance and then really exploring it, I think it's going to not only attract women to you, just like in on the universal level of just your vibration is going to intra- attract, you know, more females to you because you're more balanced, but you're just going to have a better life overall. And of course, all your That's relationships. That's what I was going to say. You're not going to regret improve. any of this. Yeah, because I think all men, of this that makes you uncomfortable, you're not going to regret it. Yeah. Right now, females, like I was saying with the feminist movement, a lot of masculine energy is coming from that, which is kind of weird. But mm-hmm. that <laughs> idea of us, you know, we are women. We, can, you know, hear us roar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, is allowing, we can do it. Yeah, and it's and yeah. So females are embodying a lot of masculine energy right now. They're finding mm-hmm. a better balance, and some are going too extreme, of course. But that always is going to happen with men, though, because of whatever our society has told them that femininity means. They're so like mm-hmm. allergic to it, or they think they're so yeah. allergic to it. They right. push it away so strongly that then they end up hurting. I mean, it's a self destructive cycle like we were talking about earlier it's just like one of those things that we decided as as a culture to push out of our lives and now we're suffering Mm -hmm. we're all suffering from it and men specifically and and especially yeah absolutely yeah the kind of toxic masculinity if you want to use that Mm -hmm. phrase is essentially denying our feelings and so anger is typically the most 
appropriate or kind of socially conventional feeling. It's okay for a man to be angry. That's good, you know. Mm. But under that, it's a defensive emotion often. There's hurt. And so, yeah, it takes courage as a man to say, I'm hurt and I need help. Or, mm. uh, you know, this like, I, I felt abandoned or I felt, you know, I'm, I feel alone. And mm. to, to see connection, you know, depression is yeah. really common. And men typically don't go to treatment often are less likely mm-hmm. to get seek treatment. Mm-hmm. And as a physiological disease, depression can really, if you're in a depressed state for a long period of time, really create patterns in your brain that are harder to get out of. And so I would encourage men who feel depressed, you know, you can look up online different symptoms of depression and, you know, take a risk on going to see a counselor or going to see a psychiatrist and just explore mm-hmm. what it'd be like. Because I think the good news is that on the other side of the aloneness and the anger and hurt is more fulfillment, more connection, more coming home to yourself and allowing the full range of emotions Mm -hmm. to exist so your authentic Mm -hmm. self can come out. You don't have to give up any masculine energy for that. You can just have more attunement to your emotional life, which will probably Mm -hmm. make you happier and more successful. Yeah. A lot of people are so scared of um, admitting that they struggle with anything mental, Mm -hmm. which can be depression, anxiety. Um, and we have um, an episode with um, Jamie Torkowski on that. If anybody who is struggling with depression, mm-hmm. I think you can find comfort in that episode um, and be able to relate and feel more comfortable with, you know, using those those types of words. Yeah. And, and to your point, Peter, um, when you get stuck in a cycle of maybe it be depression or um, whatever you're your mechanism of coping with um, mm-hmm. pushing away the, that balance of energy, you actually affect your hormones again. You know, I'm going to always be bringing up hormones, <laughs> but you oh, affect yeah. your hormones. So like if you're worried about your testosterone level, for instance, you're probably doing damage to mm-hmm. having balanced hormones so that you can, mm-hmm. you know, build the muscle and be the man you want to be or whatever it is. So there's so much that goes yeah. into a, to really this whole idea of balance, you know, that's yeah. at the end of the day, that's all we're seeking. All we should be seeking is healthy balance in all yeah. all facets of our life. Yeah. It, that's true, Mercedes. I am. I stopped smoking uh firstly because I was preparing for my ayahuasca ceremony. You have to abstain for two weeks. Smoking um, weed. But then yeah. Yeah. Let's just oh, yeah. be clear. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, what else is there? I don't know. Um, <laughs> these days it shouldn't be I know, anything I know. else. I know. Um, but now it's been, a, uh, now it's been like three and a half weeks because, um, I, I'm going through such a big transition in my life that is really painful. And I, I kind of want to make sure I feel all of the pain. Um, but with taking that, um, and I, you know, some people that's what is needed to help fall asleep. Um, I prefer that over a glass of wine for people, if that's what they're going to use or over, ambient, whatever. But for me in this time of my life, I feel like I need to really feel everything I'm going through um, to prepare for my next chapter. And so I cut it out. And um, because I cut it out, I have a little bit more anxiety than I usually do. And this just this week, I had a panic attack. And what was making me mm. panic even more was the fact that I was feeling panic. Mm. Like mm. I started to get shortness of breath. And then I was like, oh, no. And I haven't had a panic attack in probably since I started ceremonies over almost three years ago. So to think like, oh no, I've, I've done so well, it's been three Mm. years and now it's, I'm having another one that alone made me go full fledged into my panic attack. Mm. So Mm. it's like you were saying, Mercedes, it's like, 
the fact that you're worried about something just makes it so much harder, you know, makes it, it affects it so much worse. Yeah. And when you get out of practice of dealing with panic and anxiety, it's like you mm-hmm. scramble for all the tools that used to get you, be able, you know, help you be able to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. So, um, hard segue here. Um, <laughs> you do sex therapy and study Tantra. Um, I'm not super familiar with Tantra, but we're both intrigued. So let's talk about sex. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone want to talk about sex? Uh, <laughs> let's save the tantra for dessert. Let's. Um, so, with sex therapy, um, it's really interesting to explore because it's really intimate and vulnerable to explore because our sexuality is such a close part of ourselves. It's kind of a secret, or I don't mm, want to say a secret, taboo. But it's yeah, in in our Western society you know, sexuality and spirituality are kind of split off and sexuality is this like guilt sin ridden mm-hmm. thing. And so just being able to talk about our desire, talk about what turns us off and just having a more honest conversation that in itself can be really healing for a lot of people. So I think my passion is just for help people have more connection. And if we can share intimacy in really beautiful ways and deepen our connection in an erotic way, that can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the six principles of sexual health. Uh, Douglas Harvey coined that. And so I want to just mention those as just help mm. people navigate. It's kind of obvious in a way, but I think it's a good springboard for conversation with your partner if you felt like bringing it up. Um, number one is consent. Mm. Number, two, <laughs> number two is non-exploitation. Uh, mm. Number three is prevention of STIs or unintended pregnancy. Mm. Number four is honesty. Number five is shared values. And number six is mutual pleasure. Mm. Mm. Mutual. Yeah. So (laughs) having a conversation about that, you know, because a lot of times Mm. it's one-sided in terms of giving and receiving pleasure and having an honest conversation about how to work through that can be really healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I know for me, once the connection is gone, Um, In all my relationships, once the connection was gone, my sex drive was gone. Um, Once it was no longer a safe place, my sex drive was gone. And, you know, it's kind of like once that's gone, once they're both gone, it's like, you know, where do you go from there? You know, it's kind of hard to like, um, uh, it's almost like you need the sex drive to bring the connection back for a lot of people. But for me, it was the opposite. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I was just going to, uh, you you started that off by saying that our culture is, um, we see sex as something that's shameful. taboo, that's shameful, that's mm-hmm. covered in sin and all these things. Yeah. So what do you think that originates from? I mean, is it like religion that started that out for us? Where, where are we at currently? And why did, you know, why did we ever, why are we going through the muck in the first place, I guess? Yeah. The Western philosophy, Western psychology of mind-body dualism, probably Mm -hmm. the source of it, of that our body and mind are separate. And so, you know, the body is kind of this mundane material thing and we should just aspire towards spiritual 
pursuits. Mm. Um, but I think that's just disconnected. And if mm. we look at some of the spiritual traditions of the East, there's a integration of mind and body where they, you know, Tantra and talking about Taoist and some of the refined arts of sexuality and, and the royal path of unity um, is really sees sexuality as, you know, the life force, that erotic energy is very much connected. You know, it's a, it's a barometer on our relationship, on our life of that creative life force. Mm. So I think that somewhere along the way, um, whether that's for power or just the evolution of Western society, we've disconnected those. And now we're coming back to reconnecting them. And I think it's kind of all over the place, but I think people are having a sexual renaissance where people are letting go of the shame and guilt and reclaiming their own desire. And I think that's a really healthy thing. Um, yeah. I know. Yeah, I, I think parents, it's becoming trendy. Sorry, Mercedes. Yeah, it's right. becoming trendy to like not to um, parent without shame when it comes to body parts. That's recently, I feel like. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah because I know mm. growing up, I had a very uh, um, Catholic upbringing and I lived in my grandparents' mm. home who they were very Catholic. Uh, yeah. And my underlying issue always seems to come back to shame. You know, like that's mm -hmm. I was brought up with shame and a lot of it is around sexuality. Um, mm -hmm. So I know that that has to be a deep wound for many. Of course, we live in, uh, like you're saying, a culture that uh, especially with the religions that we're all brought up in where that can be something that's really hard to get through. So I'm glad to hear mm -hmm. that you know, new parents are breaking that mold. It's interesting that my, my birth dad wasn't around, but my mom um, was a very hated sex talk. Like mm. um, one of her boyfriends bought me my first bras. Like I had to talk to someone else when I started my cycle. Like mm. I, we couldn't bring up anything. Yeah. And um, it's interesting that I became a playboy model. You know, <laughs> but you did that in spite of the oh, that's true cultish church yeah. you were a part of at that time or whatever. Yeah, right? but still, it's 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 just interesting that I was raised with like cover up, don't talk about it. Yeah, and then I was like, hello world. I feel like that's you know? like, the re the obvious reason. You know, it's yeah. like that opposite reaction that you have to mm -hmm. have when you get pushed too far. Yeah, down. I was like trying to get rid of the shame. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's like well, what you repress, you know, what you resist mm -hmm. persists. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and so repressing your natural erotic urges mm -hmm. is going to, they're going to come out or maybe that's like seeking healing, you know, whatever emotional wounds around yeah. having to repress your natural energy. Yeah. And, and speaking of shame, shame's a really important topic. I think I know you guys talk about it a lot on your show of how shame is basically I'm bad as opposed to guilt, which is like, I did something bad and that's mm. not great, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do better. But shame is this this really corrosive, destructive, I'm bad or I'm flawed or mm -hmm. I'm unlovable. And the antidote to shame is connection or sharing yeah. your yeah. shame. And so- You take the around, shame away when you talk about yeah. it. Exactly, just yeah. bringing it to light. And so whether we're talking about sex or we're talking about uh, relationships, being able to talk about what previously was not talked about brings to light new energy. And whether that goes well or not that well, the, the challenge is can we- have a more honest conversation about our desire. Like, can we write a list of things that turn us on and the things that turn us off? And can we talk to mm -hmm. our partner about that in a mm -hmm. way that can foster more, you know, shared values around mutual pleasure and connection? Yeah. I like that. And I, hmm. I just, you know, thought of this 
sentence that I feel needs to be uttered, that shame is not truth. So, like, if you're listening to this and, like me, you have this shame-based um, idea that's, you know, affected you your whole life probably, and maybe it's subconscious at this point. Maybe this podcast will make you realize it. But um, mm. shame is not truth. Like, it is just the truth that you are allowing at this point in your life. Like, think of all the reasons that you have any shame. They come from other people's judgments and other people's truths, which is not truth. You know, your truth is only what you're believing in that very moment, whatever your reality is. So you can effectively change it You could, by sorting through what brought you to that moment of mm. feeling shame. So I think, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but um, yeah, for me, it's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... Sorry, go ahead. I was I was just thinking as you're talking about of likening that towards, you know, the sun, the light is shining on us, but if we turn away from it, we have a shadow. So mm. our shame's like our shadow where it's mm. basically turning away from our source of connection whether that's other people, mm. uh, loving ourselves, God. Yeah. Or, and so it's just you know, our constant practice is we keep forgetting as human beings, we forget our connection, we forget mm-hmm. our spiritual source, but then we remember and, oh, the joy of remembering and coming back. And so just creating rituals and intentions around coming back to the light, turning towards mm-hmm. our longing, our love, our mm. connection. And, and I don't know, changing those. You're yeah. Cha- I, that's yeah. beautiful. I think changing the habits that we might have, like the shame-based habits that for me, that mm-hmm. I have of turning back into the shadow and seeing all the stuff that's pulling me down that shame, you know, shame rabbit hole. And instead, what you're saying there is creating the habit of turning towards the sun or turning towards things that light you up and that don't, you know, you don't feel shameful about because you're releasing that shadow um, behind you. I have a part two of that, though, because yes, I think the, the work is really looking at our unresolved emotional pain, you know. In yeah, terms of that's what I therapy, it's like, do. yeah, like what's your core erotic theme mm. is kind of the way you seek healing from your unresolved hurt. Um, but I think that could apply to a spiritual sense or a relationship sense, too, of um, it's through the shadow and through our suffering and our darkness that we go to the light. So I don't want to say that you just kind of ignore your shadow, but it's more mm-hmm. of not saying stuck in it, but going through it um, mm-hmm. to the Being light. Being a shadow that, worker. And that's the, you know, that's the stuff of, yeah, yeah, that's the stuff of therapy or, you know, self-examination meditation or confronting, like when you get in a relationship and have that secure functioning, well, the, the hurts of the past, maybe before this relationship you have and come to the surface. And a lot of the things we fight about are not that much about not doing the dishwasher correctly. It's about feeling alone or unloved in a previous relationship. And yeah. so mm. having the patience and gentleness and courage to kind of keep processing through those layers of hurt and unresolved emotions to rediscover that wholeness is the work that takes yeah. a whole life. Whole life. <laughs> no I wish everybody no could hear that every morning. Every morning. Well, <laughs> every morning. I don't know. Every morning, though, it's a lot. <laughs> or as at Heavy. least <laughs> if there was a narrator, a narrator that could like play that as a fight is about to unfold. We, you know? Uh, yeah. The this way we say it here. Yeah. <laughs> the way we say it here is seek the pain for positive gain, or Maddie mm. Moon would say, feel the shit to feel the shift, mm-hmm. which 
just paint that on your mirror and just read it every day. Like, all right, what shit am I going to have to sort through today to get to the good stuff? I know that's something I'm really digging deep in, but I really want to sit with what Mercedes said and then what you followed up with her on. I feel like I've always been sexually suppressed. Is that the right way to say it? So I'm wondering if the most useful thing would be to like, I've never even gone here in my head, but maybe to just like write out all of my sexual fantasies, like really um, like figure out what they are or it like, I don't know if it's so important to figure out why it started or why it's there as it is to just, you know, try to get out of it. But maybe like, is that a, a good tool or what tools would you recommend for someone who does feel sexually suppressed or maybe just doesn't feel sexy to their partner? So needs to find that in themselves, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of a two-part answer to that. Um, the first is uh, The Erotic Mind by Jack Morin is an amazing book on sex therapy or sex healing and is written for anyone to read. So if you're mm-hmm. inspired to explore that, that's a great place to start. And he talks about writing a couple of your peak turn on, like most exciting sexual experiences of your life and writing mm-hmm. about them and seeing what kind of themes emerge. Mm-hmm. And he basically posits that there's probably something around the unresolved emotional hurt of your childhood is playing out through them to kind of be re-experienced in a healing way. Oh, that's interesting. um, And then the second part, so just exploring, you know, what does really turn you on? What fantasies do you have? What are your most exciting sexual experiences to see what elements are there? Also, in terms of feeling sexy for your partner, I mean, really that's loving yourself and, and finding the beauty in your own self and the question is like, are you seductive to yourself and creating that kind of mm. sweetness and gentle eroticism of just loving yourself. And I don't mean like in the super narcissistic way, but just, you know, like look in the mirror and have kind thoughts. So in Tantra, there's one exercise where you close your eyes in front of a mirror, you do it naked or not and slowly open your eyes and see what are the first thoughts that come to mind? Like, Oh, you're, you know, you look tired or, you know, or, mm-hmm. oh, I'm beautiful. And and really see if you can speak to those thoughts that come up in a loving way. And over time, really, when you open your eyes, have the first things be more kind and loving to yourself. And obviously, mm-hmm. that takes a lifetime of practice, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. When we're talking about fantasies, so it just brought to mind when people have rape fantasies, what is that mm-hmm. type of direction your mind is going usually pointing towards in your maybe in your childhood yeah it could be a lot of things um jack morin in that book talks about there's four pillars of eroticism of what longing and anticipation violating prohibitions searching for power and then the fourth Mm -hmm. one is i forgot um so you know i think there's a power element um Mm -hmm. And again, like with masculine, feminine, the feminine is receptive and letting Mm -hmm. go and surrendering. And so on some level, there's a deep surrender in that. I'm not condoning that, but I'm saying like the naturalness of that fantasy is in some way a surrender of of just being able to be taken by the masculine or just like Mm. be able to surrender at a deeper level. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, and, you know, in terms of like in the past, there's probably some emotional hurt, you know, that. We, we all have emotional hurt, though. We're all kind mm-hmm. of fall from innocence and coming back to our wholeness. And so that's just one way. And just there's a lot of energy around it, writing about, you know, what specifically 
turns you on? You know, what are the themes of experiences that you've fantasized about over time to see kind of the clues of what is longing for healing? Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a natural power dynamic. And yeah. That makes total that make sense. sense. Totally. Yeah. yeah. This concludes part one of Peter Craig. Tune in next week for part two.